All right, good evening, nice to see you all. Um, so tonight uh, we are going to um, explore two verses in Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18. And we're going to do it um, as we've kind of started doing in, in three chunks. And then we're going to have three cellar moments uh, after each chunk for just to... And you can do whatever you want, you can have a little bit of a kip, or you can ponder what I've been talking about, or you can worship God, or you can do whatever you want, but I just think it's good to take those pauses and just allow us to ponder whatever God's been saying. Um, so the three songs that are going to come on, the, the, the words are all on the projector and everything, but um, yeah, they're about 10 minutes each, so it's a good kind of amount of time to just ponder and think and do whatever we think we need to do. Um, but before we do anything else, shall we just pray? Let's just take a moment just to be quiet, actually, and settle our hearts for a couple of moments, and then I'll, then I'll pray. We want to thank you, Father God, for this moment, Lord, this time together with each other and with you, Lord. We thank you for every moment that's gone on today, Lord, and every moment that will go on after we leave here. But right now, Father, we just choose to focus in on this moment. We choose to leave behind all the other moments that have been and will be. And we choose to ground ourselves and present ourselves in this moment with you. We want to open the eyes of our heart to see you, to hear you. We want to see you more, Jesus. We want to see you clearer. We want to see ourselves clearer. We want light to flood our hearts and our lives, Father. And we want to know you more, Jesus. So we just speak to our bodies and of our souls, to our emotions. And we just remind ourselves that our spirit is in charge. And we remind every part of us that our spirit is number one and our spirit is going to take priority in this time. We thank you for every other part of us, but we just thank you for our spirit and that connection with your spirit in Jesus' name. And we invite the light of Holy Spirit into our lives this evening. We give you access, Jesus, into our hearts, into our thoughts, into our minds, into our bodies. We choose to allow you to speak in whatever way you want to speak and in whatever area you want to speak in. But we open ourselves up to you and your goodness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Ephesians 1, 17 to 18. I have been kind of marinating in these words the last week or so. Uh, but particularly from the Mirror Bible that I've been enjoying. So I just want to read them to you first of all. Uh, so for context, you, you'll know, I'm sure, but this is Paul writing to the Ephesian church, and it's basically a prayer for them. But it's also a prayer for us today. I desire that you will draw directly from the source, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, ignites the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in you in the unveiling of his master plan. I desire that you know by revelation what he has known about you all along. I pray that your thoughts will be flooded with light and inspired insight, that you will clearly picture his intent in identifying you in him so you may know how precious you are to him 
the saints are his treasure and the glorious trophy of his portion. I just think they're just beautiful words. I've loved just sitting in them and dwelling in them. I desire that you will draw directly from the source. Okay, let's start there. This is beautiful and it's also key because I think for many people, they'd rather go go through a priest than go to the source. They'd rather go through a priest than get what they need from the source. You see, we're all priests. According to the New Testament, we're all priests and kings. Okay, so you're a priest, I'm a priest, we're all a priest. And a priest is somebody who represents somebody to God. That's what a priest does. It represents Jesus to people. So we're all priests, and we all represent something of the heart of Jesus to those around us, of course, compared to him. It's a poor representation, but it is a representation nonetheless. But what's fascinating is that Because people can see you and see me and talk to me and you and they can hug me and you and they can be reassured by me and you and you can be reassured, hugged, talked to and seen by other people, it's very easy to draw from you. And what you find is the more you become like Jesus, the more people draw from you and the more draining that can be because some people are really good at taking from you. Like they're really good at draining you. Not in a negative way for them because they see it and they want it and that's how it's meant to be. So it's okay. Uh, But it can be draining and you've got to recognize that at times because sometimes you get empty and you've got to recognize when you are empty and take time out to get refilled because walking around empty doesn't help anybody. But, But here's the interesting thing and here's the first question that I want you to just ponder. How much do you draw directly from the source or directly from Jesus? And how much do you draw from the priests in your life, from the people who represent Jesus to you? Because, and there's nothing wrong with drawing from other people as you walk through life. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, we're meant to do that. We need each other. We need to draw from other people. But if those people are not continually directing you to the source, and you are not increasingly drawing from the source, which is Jesus over time, there's an issue. Because what should happen over time is you initially experience the goodness of God through other people. Most people experience the goodness of God through somebody else. They meet somebody, they interact with them, they share them, and they experience that through somebody else. They experience love, peace, security, welcome, grace, or they're supposed to, through other people. And it's meant to start there. But then there is meant to be a transition so that more and more of it comes directly from Jesus. That's meant to happen. And of course, anyone who is not constantly pointing you back to Jesus and reminding you who Jesus is, is not really helping you. Because it's really a bit of an egotistical thing. They're actually drawing people to themselves, not to Jesus. And you're going to be drawn to people because there's something very um, attractive about Jesus. So people are meant to be drawn to you. That's a good thing. If people are drawn to you, if you're not drawing people, then there's a problem because people are meant to be drawn to when you like Jesus. So that's great. But then when people are drawn, you've got to go, okay, so you're drawn to me, but you're not really drawn to me. You're drawn to Jesus in me. That's what you're really drawn to. And, and Jesus is, is over there. I mean, he's over everywhere, but, but like he's not just here. He's, he's actually over there. And so the best people are always pointing you towards the source and always encouraging you to engage with the source yourself. 
So they're always, so this is, you know, if you've walked with somebody for a number of years, and I've done this with a number of people now, eventually I stop praying for them, and I tell them to go pray themselves. Eventually I go, okay, well, this is what we've got to do. We've, we've worked out we've got this problem. We're going to forgive this person. We're going to ask Jesus to do this. Okay, go away and do it then. Because I want them to get directly from Jesus without me. The best people are always trying to make themselves redundant. Now, you never do that because there'll always be that. But actually, it's always meant to be, okay, I've shown you how to do it. You know how to do it. Now crack on. That's called letting people grow up. That's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. Anybody who's not doing that, he's not really helping you grow up. They're keeping you kind of in them. But of course, so, so our relationship with other people is meant to be growing, but also our relationship directly with Jesus should also be growing. Of course, we love one another, we're incredibly grateful for one another, but our primary aim cannot be to develop our relationships on the earth. Our primary aim has got to be to develop our relationship actually with Jesus. And I know that sounds really simple and it sounds really obvious, but actually we can get really caught up in developing relationships with other people and in getting what we need from other people and then being these things. And actually we can forget or it can become what he can do for us because we know, okay, God, I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to get healed. I'm believing I'm going to get healed or I'm going to get significance. I'm going to get self-esteem. I'm going to get security from Jesus. And that's all fantastic. But actually, no, but you meant to just love him, even if you didn't get any of those things. And of course, in our consumerist society, in our completely over-consumerized world, it becomes all about what I can get. And we're going we're gonna to get onto this later on, but... But if we're not falling deeper and deeper in love with the person of Jesus every year, not three years ago, not ten years ago, not, but like, no, 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 how in this year so far have you fallen more in love with him? You might have fallen more in love with the people around you, and that's fantastic, and hopefully you've fallen more in love with your kids and your family and friends and all that, that's fantastic. But we have to actually go, okay, do I love Jesus more? Do I enjoy spending it? Because when you love somebody, like I, I love fair more now than I've ever loved her, my wife. And I, that expresses itself by the fact that I want to spend more time with her. I'll find any excuse when she's working in the kitchen just to go downstairs and wash up for 10 minutes just because I like seeing her. But that's because I love her. And that's meant to happen. But actually, it's also meant to happen with Jesus. That's meant to happen with Jesus. We're meant to want to be with him more and more. And I know it's different because you can't go down the kitchen and just wash up with him. But at the same time, there, there is this sense that we're meant to be drawing more from the source. In one sense, it doesn't matter that everything else might be going the right way. Because the whole point is to fall head over heels in love with Jesus. And I think a lot of the time, we get caught up in worrying about everything else is going the right way. So the family's doing well, the business is doing well, this is doing well, that's doing well, my health's doing well, and we forget about the fact that we're meant to be falling in love with Jesus more, even if those things work or not. And it's interesting, isn't it, that in these verses, I mentioned this this morning. Uh, let me just read it in the, in the NIV, actually, because it, it makes a bit more, it's easier to see it. Um, it says, I keep... I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. Not so you may fix things. 
Not so you might have better relationships. Not so you might know what job to be in. Not so you might have a word for somebody. So you might know him better. And I think we often forget that. The whole point of wisdom and revelation, the whole point is so that you might know him better and therefore know yourself better through the mirror that he is. And of course, all the people around us are tools and helps to do that. So I'm not suggesting they're not. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be drawing from people. And it's wonderful if we're going deeper with one another. And we should be going deeper with one another and finding more and more life together. But at the end of the day, like Paul's prayer for the Ephesians 2,000 years ago, my prayer is that you will draw directly from the source. I, I kind of go, I wonder. And well, I suppose we saw it, didn't we? I was just going to say, I wonder what life would be like if we didn't see each other for a while. And I realized we had that two years ago. Um, but <laughs> I forgot about lockdown. Um, <laughs> thank God for that. But, um, but you realize you saw that for, for a lot of people. Well, you realize now the amount of people who were in church has like fallen off a cliff in terms of on a regular basis. It's fallen off a cliff. People who, people who are actually part of a church family and are loving it, they, they're going, it's just fallen off a cliff. What is that? I don't know, I think it's for all sorts of reasons, but actually, if we can't, we're meant to fall more in love with him all the time, no matter what, not only when it's going well. Aren't we? Aren't we meant to be doing that all the time? And I recognize, I'm not saying that I've done it or that I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm just going, okay, what? We're meant to draw directly from the source. And I find that a deeply challenging question. How much do you draw directly from the source and how much do you draw from the peace priests in your life. But I think we've got to think about it and go, okay, yeah. Where do I go? Who do I ring? Do I pray or do I ring? Do I pray or do I text? Do I worship or do I go and have a coffee with my friend? Where do I go? Who are the people I go to? And are they actually good representations of Jesus? What are the things I do when it gets tough? Where do I go? And what are those places? Okay. I'm going to play a song, and it's called Nothing Else by Belonging Company. And I just want you to ponder that and think about it. And, and this, the worst of this song, I, when I hear songs like this, I say it as a prayer if it's perhaps not a reality. So, because sometimes it's like, okay, nothing else will do when you go, well, in reality, is that actually true? But, but I know it's my heart. So when I sing songs like this or hear songs like this, I say it as a prayer, like, Lord, that's, I'm singing this because that's what I want. That's where I want to be. I want to be in this place where actually nothing else will do when I just draw from you and I'm blessed when I get it from other people, but I want to get it from you. Um, okay, it's about 10 minutes long, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, wisdom. Oh, I need to say this as well. If you're watching online... Um, we can't, well, we can stream it, but then YouTube get all upset and then you won't be able to watch us uh, for copyright. But the link to this song and the other songs we're going to play is in the description, so you can still watch it. Okay, you just press play. I desire that you will draw directly from the source that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, ignites the spirit of wisdom and revelation in you in the unveiling of his master plan ignites the spirit of wisdom and revelation and I just want to spend this next section on this this bit about wisdom um, and then we're going to talk about revelation and light in, in part
part three. And um, I want to read the story of the kings to you because there's a few things that I realized wise people do in, in this story. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judah, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay. So I want I want to mention seven things that wise people do from this story. So first of all, wise people come seeking. People who are wise are constantly seeking. They have developed the gift of curiosity and never stop learning. They've never arrived, and they understand they'll never know it all. They may be secure in their ability to share something helpful and insightful, but they'll always be seeking, always looking to learn, to grow, to do better. And I love that phrase, the gift of curiosity, because I think everybody's got a gift of curiosity. I just think some people allowed it to die. But you're not meant to allow it to die, you're actually meant to cultivate it and spend time in it. And that's not always easy because it demands listening to something that's not always the most exciting thing. But actually, it's really important. So, so just this morning, I was talking to one of the kids, and they had this Rubik's Cube, and they were doing it super fast, and they were telling me all about these algorithms and all sorts of things that they could do and how how it worked. And so he said, mess it up, and I'll do it. So I messed it all up, and, and he did it, and he told me all how. And, and then he did it all again, and then he did it all again, and then he kept talking to me about it all. And I was aware that a little, after a little while, he must have talked to me for quite a while, maybe seven or eight minutes, and after, after a while, I was like, okay, I, I realized that I was drifting a little bit, as you do when children keep going. And I caught myself, and I went, okay, no, I'm, I'm going to stay focused, because this is really important to him. And I also want to learn, and I want to find out what it is. But part of me was like, Okay, it's a bit over my head. I don't understand. I'm not really sure what's going on. I can never make my hands move that fast. And I could never remember all. He'd remembered like left, right, up, down, like these big sequence of things that he did. And it was amazing. But at the same point, it was also like, oh, I can't do that. And part of me was about to go, well, I'm never going to be able to do that. So I'm just going to check out now. And I just caught myself and went, no, 
It's not about that. It's about keeping curious. And it's about relationship. And it's about listening. Because for this little one, it's really important. This is what he's into. And it was fascinating. I, I found it amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think... I think wise people have really honed a gift of curiosity. They read all sorts of different stuff. They're willing to listen and watch all sorts of different stuff. They'll watch a nature program and they'll watch an action show and they'll go to a rom-com and they'll watch all sorts of stuff because they're just curious. They're always open to new things and they'll walk around a garden center and then they'll walk around a DIY shop and they'll enjoy it all because they've developed this gift of curiosity. So wise people come seeking. Number two. Wise people ask for help. They find it easy to admit when they... And the reason I'm saying this, by the way, is because you can work out how wise you are. Wise people are willing to ask for help. They find it easy to admit when they are stuck or struggling or don't know what to do and understand that the answers to everything they need has already been given, but perhaps the answer lies in somebody else who needs the space to step out and step up into something new. So wise people ask for help. This is verse 2, by the way. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? They come along and go, well, where is he? They ask for help. Wise people know when they're running out of fuel, recognize when they allow on energy, grace, kindness, compassion, and react accordingly. Wise people understand they don't have the answers for everything and have learned to celebrate difference and ask all sorts of different people for help and advice. So wise people ask for help. Number three... Wise people receive help when they've asked for it. They listen to the help and then do what they've been told. It's amazing how many people ask for help and then keep asking for help and keep asking for help. But actually, wise people ask for help and then are even help if you're not from Yorkshire and actually do it. Uh, I have seen that it's one thing to seek advice. It's another thing entirely to follow it. Um... But in truth, the level of your humility and submission is shown by your ability to follow somebody else's advice and instruction. The level of your humility and submission is shown by your ability to follow somebody else's advice and instruction. And, and here's the thing about it. Somehow in God, and, and I'm talking about in God now, and you're finding some advice in God, the advice doesn't even need to be brilliant for it to work if you were humble and submissive enough to just do what you were told. I, I've realized a few times now, it, it, it's never really about the advice, it's about the humility and submission to follow that advice. That's where the power is. That's where the breakthrough comes. When you are humble and submitted enough to go seek some help from somebody who knows more than you, and you are then gonna go, okay, I'm gonna go do that, and you do it, God's not really looking at whether the advice was bang on. Obviously, you've got to have a little bit of wisdom to know whether it's bonkers or not. Although sometimes God's advice is bonkers, so you can't really use that as a plumb line either. But actually, it's in the humility and submission of doing it that God looks and goes, okay, that's going to work. Which is wonderful if you're the person giving advice, because you don't have to worry about getting 100% right. You've just got to worry about your heart being right before Jesus. And if your heart's right before him, and you're hearing him and you're doing your best, it's not really on you. Which is a beautiful, very freeing place to be so the interesting thing is that power is not necessarily in the advice being 100% right the power lies in the humility and submission in being willing to follow somebody else's advice and help so wise people receive help this is verse 8 by the way he sent them to Bethlehem 
and said, go and make a careful search for the child. Um, but the wise people also receive help. They're also led by the Spirit because it says, and having been warned, verse 12, in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Wise people are not dominated by their minds, but by their spirits. And we're talking about this a lot right now, I know. They're open to hear him in new and fresh ways. Who knows whether these wise men had ever had a dream before? Who knows whether it was the first time God had spoke to them in a dream? But they were open to hearing it. Maybe it was a common thing, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But they're open to hear him in new and fresh ways and not afraid to follow the leading of the Spirit, even if it might mean difficulty from earthly rulers. Because I don't think Herod would have been very pleased when they didn't come back. So they upset earthly rulers and they followed the Spirit. It's possible to follow the Spirit and upset earthly rulers. Those two things may well happen together. Um, and we've talked a lot about this whole mind and spirit thing. This happened to me recently and I found it fascinating. I was sat sh talking to somebody and they were sharing um, that, s that somebody that they relate to would hurt them. Um, and it had been quite painful for them. And they were saying, I, I can't really have peace that it won't happen again. And I was going, well, of course, that's, that's understandable because we know, I, I, do you think this person's dealt with the underlying issue? No, I don't think so. Okay. I said, well, I, 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 knew, I know both people. I said, well, I don't think they have done either. So that makes it very difficult for you to have peace that it's not going to happen again because the other person's not probably fully dealt with it, so it's still there. So it's going to be difficult for you to be in peace and, and be in that way. But So then we carried on talking. And then I said, well, what I think we should do is we should pray for this other person and go, hey, let's pray that God... You know, they, they come to a point of being able to deal with it and say, yeah, and that God protects them. And as I said, God protects them, I didn't see it visually, but I saw this like dome come down over my visualization of this person and like completely cover them. And immediately I felt God say to me, you can tell the person you're talking to, going, they can go in complete peace, it's going to be fine. Okay, so I heard that in my spirit. And then my mind went, but they hadn't dealt with the issue. They hadn't dealt with it, God. So this per the, the issue's not dealt with and you're telling me it's going to be all right. That right there is my mind that wants to kill the spirit of God that wants to do something. And this all happened about in about five seconds in my head. But I also knew I had this grip and I was like, wow. So I, I kind of moved along with my mind, if you like, and all what I know. And yeah, this is how it works and we know this was. But then the spirit of God kicked in and then, of course, you've got a moment. But here's the interesting thing about moving with the spirit because... You have to have faith to do that because as soon as I say it to this person, she trusts me. And I'm going, and I know. So it's not just faith for the moment. It's faith for all the moments that are going to happen until it gets dealt with. If it's ever going to get dealt with, because I don't know it's going to get dealt with. That's why it's scary in this stuff. And it's why it's not, you've not only got to grow your ability to hear Jesus, you've got to grow your ability to have faith to kind of step out because as soon as you step out right there and go, which I did, but I'm aware, okay, that was a risk right then. But my faith's going, okay, well, God, I know when I hear you and I know when I see you these days. And it felt very sure. So I went for it. I went, you know what? I think it's going to be fine. You can go out of in total peace. Even though it's not dealt with, I don't think it's going to happen again. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to get side. And then she went, and then I went, please, Lord, please. Because <laughs> that's how it works. Because I... I but even now, but it's not just that moment, it's every other moment now I've got to stay in faith for that. Because somebody's walking around going, this is fantastic, even though this other person that hurt me hadn't dealt with it, I'm going to be all right and I can trust them again. 
but it's my faith and my prayers in one sense that are keeping that alive. And so, and that's fine, but actually it's, it's just an example of if you're going to move more and more in the spirit, you've also got to move more and more in faith. You can't just move in one and not the other. You've got the faith to go with it. And it's incredibly exciting, but it also brings great tension. Because the easier thing to do would be to go, well, that's wonderful, God. I'll keep that to myself, and I'll just pray about it. That would be the easy thing to do. Then I'm not in tension. Then whenever I see these people, I'm not thinking, flipping it, not being on. But actually, it's also quite exciting, isn't it? I mean, it's quite neat. What, how beautiful it'll be at go someday. Actually, you know what? I know I just said you're probably not going to get peace, but actually, I, I think you can get peace, and you're going to be fine. That's a beautiful moment. But it's this incredible tension of actually not only listening to God and moving in it, but then moving in the faith that goes with it as well. But of course, as soon as you step out and do it, it's already there. All you've got to do is step out. And this, this can happen wherever you are. It happens at work. It can happen in college. It can happen wherever you are. We've got to forget and get out of this idea that it's a church thing that happens to church people. No, it happens all the time. You've just got to keep your spiritual eyes open, the eyes of your heart, put your heart glasses on that we did this morning, and keep listening all the time. And then go for it. But we've got to go for it more and more. We've got to get a better eye because there is nothing other than that that is going to change this world. This world is full of information, but it needs revelation. Okay, number five. Oh, we didn't do number four. There we go. There's number four. Number five. Wise people open their luggage and present it to Jesus. Verse 11. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold. In other words, they opened the content of their bags. For me, this is a metaphor of opening up our hearts to Jesus and sharing with him all that we are carrying. Wise people don't keep the luggage hidden away, but they present everything they are carrying to Jesus. They, un excuse me, they understand the need to regulate and often open up their hearts to Jesus and invite his light and life to flood their soul and to deal with anything of darkness that needs dealing with. We're going to talk that, more about that later on so we can part that one for now. But wise people open up their luggage and present it to Jesus. Number six, wise people keep following. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place. Wise people understand that sometimes obedience is simply the ability to put one foot in front of the other. It's just that. They understand there are times when life doesn't make sense, nothing adds up, but they just keep walking. It's all they can do is just put one foot in front of the other, but that's what they do. They know that sometimes all you can do is just keep walking, and that's the best thing you can do. I think we massively underestimate the power of just keeping walking. We think we've got to do something or see something. But a lot of the time, just the ability to keep walking and doing what you know to do is all you actually need to do. Wise people keep following. And number seven, wise men bow down and worship. Verse 11. Uh, they saw the child of his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Wise people know that whatever is going on, whether their dreams are coming alive or they are living through their worst nightmare, there's only ever one response to Jesus, and it's to bow down and worship. But if we are yet to draw directly from the source very much, it will be harder to bow down in worship. 
Because bowing down and worshipping flows much easier when you are in love with the person of Jesus more and more. Because if you're still after what he can do for you, then when it seems like it isn't happening, your mind stops you bowing down and worshipping because your mind complains that it isn't working. And so you, you, you're not getting what you want out of the deal, so you don't want to worship. But that tells you something about how you see your relationship with Jesus. It tells you you're thinking transactionally about your relationship with Jesus. There is nothing transactional about your relationship with Jesus. He owes you nothing, and he's already done everything. But somehow we find it much easier to worship when we're getting everything we want from him. And we find it very hard to worship when we're not getting what we want from him. But that tells us that we're thinking transactionally. We've got some thought in the back of our mind, <coughs> excuse me, that is like, well, it's not going well. And then that probably, probably for most people, that keys into, well, I must be doing something wrong and I'm not worthy. But that again tells you a number of things about how you see yourself and how he sees you and whether you can worship or not. But actually... Wise people understand that bowing down and worshipping is the only response to Jesus because of what he has already done and regardless of what he may or may not do in the future. Wise people worship Jesus not based on specific desired outcomes, but because he is the king of kings and worthy of all honor and praise. Full stop. That's it. He is the king of kings and he is worthy of all honor and praise. Even if everything you dream of never happens, he deserves worship and he deserves to be bowed down and worshipped. And I, I know sometimes that, again, we get so consumed in this consumerist mentality and this thing that God's going to do this and God's going to do that and God's going to do the other. And of course he wants to and he probably will. But the thing is, okay, but if he didn't, would you still? If you knew today that he was never going to heal that person you've been praying for, if you knew today that you'd never see your kids back in church again, would you still worship him? If you knew today, what would you still worship him? if you knew that, whatever it might be. And of course, we all go, well, of course we would. I'm a Christian. Okay, well, let's get the Christian nonsense out of the window. And, and again, I don't, I don't ask these questions and say these things to make you feel guilty because God doesn't do that and I don't want to do that or condemn you or any of that stuff. But we've just, got to, we've just got to revisit some of these things and go, okay, well... Why is it that if things are going well, I can stand up in prayers, and when they're not, I'm like, flipping out, don't want to sing to Jesus. Well, it tells us something about where we're at. It tells us something about what's going on. And I, I want to be part of a people, and I am already part of a people that are getting there, where we really do sing to him and worship him, no matter what. We're getting there. But I just, I just want to keep pushing that. I want to keep pushing it. Okay, so wise people come seeking. They ask for help. They receive help. They live by the Spirit. They open their luggage and present it to Jesus. They keep following and they bow down and worship. Um, so I am going to play you another song called Isn't He? Um, and again, feel free to do whatever you want to do. Again, uh, the link is in the description if you are online. And then we'll talk about revelation and light after this. You may know how precious you are to him. Okay, so thoughts flooded with light and inspired insight. Let's go to Luke 11, and we'll explore this a little bit. Luke 11, 33 to 36. 
None of you lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, you put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also, also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines light on you. Okay, we'll get into what that means in a minute. But we don't really value light in our nation. I mean, we might value it a bit more now when it costs so much to put a light bulb on. But previously, we've not really valued light. Um, it's, too easily and it's too easily and cheaply available. Most of us take it for granted. Of course, in the ancient Near East, into the culture that Jesus is speaking, most households would have one lamp. And it would be a place where the light would reach as much of the room as possible. Because, of course, if you have one lamp, you put it up high where it lights as much up as you can. And you might remember Jesus' words in John's Gospel where he says, Twice I am the light of the world. And although Jesus in Luke is talking about a physical lamp, I think you can also understand his words to be about himself. Because he is the light of the world. And so one of the questions we've got to ask is, if Jesus is the light, where do we put him? Where is he? Is he in the center of our lives on a stand so he lights up as much as possible? Or is he under a bowl so he doesn't shine too brightly? We'll come back to that question later. But the thing about light is it's both wonderful and also disconcerting. And so as much as we like the idea of light flooding everything, it's also quite disconcerting and quite scary at times. But we'll get on to that in a minute. Let's stay in Luke 11. So Jesus makes this statement about the importance of our eyes. And of course, we know how our eyesight affects our body and its environment. And Jesus says, if the eye works well, so if your eye's healthy, then your whole body easily moves in its environment. In other words, you're full of light. The Passion Translation says, when your heart is open, the light floods in. But if your heart is hard and closed, the light cannot penetrate and darkness takes its place. Okay. We know that walking with Jesus is a daily walk. And it's possible to have been full of light, but now really be quite full of darkness. Because as you know, lights don't burn forever. You've got to keep it going. So it's possible to allow darkness to flood a heart that was previously light-filled if we harden and close our hearts to his light. Just because you opened your heart to his light a little while ago doesn't mean you're opening your heart to his light now. It means you did it. It doesn't mean you're doing it now. And I suppose we, should, we could say this, that asking for revelation or calling for light or whatever you want to do should not be a one-off event. It should be part of a normal discipleship journey. For me, asking Jesus to light up the dark places of our lives should be a normal part of every Christian's life. Because there is a lifetime, really, of him lighting up the dark places in our lives, isn't there? It is a lifetime of it. Really, every, every, everybody who knows Jesus should want to put Jesus where he lights up the most space. But the truth is that many of us don't quite put him where he can shine brightest because, well, part of us doesn't really want Jesus to shine his light into every part of our lives because we know we'll have to change. We also know that if we allow him to shine in every part of our lives, then he'll show up darkness wherever he can find it, and that can be a little bit painful. Okay. You see, you're saying wrong place, aren't you? You see, we want light, 
But then when light shines in out really brightly like that, we go, ow. And we, we, kind, of, we kind of come away a little bit. Because it's like, oh, no, but that, that's really bright. Like, I don't, I don't want that. But, of course, that's also what happens in our hearts as well. So although we say we want the light of Jesus and we want him to show up all the darkness, when he does do that and we suddenly realize, oh, there is this thing in here, there is this pain, there is this grief, there is this pride, there is this arrogance, there is this rejection, there is this whatever that he shines up in our lives. It's actually not very nice. It can be difficult. And at the time, it can feel very painful. But of course, the truth is, it's more painful to remain in the dark. That's what we forget all the time. It's much more painful to remain in the dark and to keep allowing that darkness to negatively impact your life and the lives of those around you. Because the whole point of the Christian faith is to be transformed from glory to glory, to be more like him. Jesus. And, and I, I, I only know that I am transformed by the light and life of Jesus. I know that my life is radically different the way I think, the way I act, the way I see the world, the way I see myself, the way I see other people. Jesus has radically transformed it by his light and his life. I am not the man I was. And I don't just mean I'm not the man I was 15 years ago. I'm not the man I was a year ago. Because I keep wanting to see the light and life of Jesus. I keep wanting to shine it. Which means I am keep being in this process of him showing me things I don't really want to see. And I don't enjoy seeing, and I don't look forward to seeing but I also know that I want to be transformed. I want to be like him. That means finding out the ways I'm not like him, which means asking him to shine a great big light. And he keeps doing it, and it keeps being painful. But it's worth it because once it's shone and it's dealt with, it's not there anymore. So it's like I just go through these cycles all the time of going, God, I want to say, I want you to tell me what's going on. I want to know. I'm open. I'm here. Tell me. Show me. And he keeps answering my prayer, which is a little bit annoying sometimes. Sometimes it'd be nice if he didn't answer my prayer and just went, Adam, you're good, son. But he never said, well, he does say I'm good. But then he's like, you're good, son. You're doing well. But actually, since you asked. But of course, and, and this is why a lot of people don't ask. Because they know it's going to be painful and difficult. And they know they'll have to deal with some things. But that's why you get tons of Christians walking around untransformed, hurting tons of other people. But that's not really what's meant to happen. I mean, we'll always hurt people because we're human, but we are meant to be changed. I don't understand how people can be in church 20 years and not be changed. It, to me, it don't compute. I don't have a category for it. Mind you, there's lots of things at the moment I don't have a category for. So I'm, I've got a whole word I'm working on called what to do when you have no category. Because, like, it's, it's certainly not time. I'm, like, hearing these things going, uh, what? I'm, like, bewildered that these things can happen. But anyway, we'll get to that at some point. Let's get back to, like, okay, transformation. Because, of course, he wants to shine his light into every thought, every secret, every dark place, every place in your life, because he wants to redeem it, restore it, and make it whole again. That's why. Because he loves you a bit. He wants to make it beautiful. He wants to redeem it. He wants to make it glorious. And that's why I'm always praying these prayers of God. I want to see. I want to know. It's why I'm writing. It's why I'm doing all this stuff. Because I, I know that the best thing for me 
is when I look more like him for me and for everybody else. But it does mean continually dealing with what he shows you. But for me, it's worth it. It's worth it. I know it doesn't always feel worth it. I understand that. I've been there. I'm constantly there. <laughs> but, but it is. The other thing that Jesus means by these verses in Luke, wherever it was, uh, 11. Um, the word eye in the Greek means a literal eye, but it also means like your mind's eye. So it's where your thoughts are. And this idea of healthy can also mean single. So it's got this idea of focus and single-mindedness. And so, so as well as this whole idea about if your eye's healthy and all that, I think one of the other things Jesus is saying is, is that when you are single-minded and focused on his kingdom, then your whole life gets lit up. And, and not, not in the sense of like your whole life gets put into lights and it's all wonderful, although it is. But like, once you are focused on, okay, Jesus, I am actually going to live for your kingdom and I want to know what's what, then he does expose the whole of your life, every part of it. It affects everything. Jesus wants to be in every single part of your life. There's nothing he's not interested in. There's nothing he don't want to speak about. There's nothing he's not got something to say about. But of course, it depends where you put him. If you think of your life as all sorts of different rooms, you can choose whether you want to put him in that room or not. And if you don't put him in that room, you can't talk about it because you've not put him in that room. You've not let him in there. But he actually wants to do something about everything. But when your eyes are healthy, when you're focused on the right things, looking at and thinking on the right things, then your whole life is full of light. But if your eyes don't work well, if they're unhealthy, so we don't see clearly, we're double-minded, then of course we end up not moving well in our environment. But living with an open heart... And allowing the light of Jesus to shine on us is wonderful, but it's also a little bit scary because, as Jesus says in Luke eight seventeen, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. You might remember, um, if you were part of our prayer times during the pandemic, we spent a lot of time calling for light. And it was all from the story of uh, it Peter and the jailer and uh, the... The earthquake comes, I think, and the shackles break, and it, the jailer calls for light to see what's going on. And, and I suppose at the time when I was praying it, I, I often prayed it about my life and the lives of our family, but I was also thinking about light for those who were making decisions and choices and all that sort of stuff. Um, we, but we spent a lot of time calling for light into our lives, the lives of those around us. And I think as a church family, uh, and probably even wider than that, we're seeing the answers to those prayers because right now much is being disclosed and exposed. Not only in, in people's personal lives, but I think locally, nationally, internationally, and I actually believe that's going to continue. We are going to hear of things that have gone on that we definitely don't have a category for and see things and understand things and things are going to come out because it is going to be disclosed and exposed. But of course, that's not a bad thing because God is revealing things that have been hidden so darkness can be pushed back and the glorious light of Jesus can come through. But this thought, I, you see, if you don't live in the light and you're not used to living your whole of life in the light, that verse is a scary verse, isn't it? I mean, if you've got a load of secrets, that's scary. There's nothing hidden that won't be disclosed and nothing concealed that won't be known or brought out in the open. Okay. I mean... 
some people would be absolutely trembling when they read that. But I don't tremble. I go, fantastic. I think it's great. I want everything to be exposed. I want everything out there. I want God to know everything. Because then he can deal with it and transform it. Why wouldn't I want him to know? And it's interesting for me, even in my own life recently, I feel like God has turned on a huge spotlight and made some things super clear. It was really an exposure of things in some people around me that I was already aware of and already knew when I'd not denied them or pretended they weren't there, although I'd like it to be different. Um, but it were like God, literally like a light, I described it to somebody, it was like God took a light out of a lighthouse and shone it on this thing and went, that is actually the reality. You've seen right, and I want you to see it, and I'm shining the brightest light I possibly can see so you can see this thing. And I couldn't deny it even if I wanted to, and partly did want to because I didn't, I didn't want it to be like that. But I think he revealed and exposed those things to me because he wanted to look after me so I didn't get hurt in the future. But at the same time, it was very painful today. Because you went, oh, okay. I've hoped that that would be different, but it's not different. And it became really obvious that it wasn't different. And then you've got to deal with the fact, okay, I've hoped, I've prayed, I've believed, but I think God went, you can pray, but it might stay like that forever, and you've got to learn to live with it being like that forever. And learn to continue to relate and do all those things that you've got to do with people. So, so for me, it's been a really interesting time this last couple of weeks. And, and also, God exposing all sorts of things and me hearing all sorts of things that, again, I have no category for. And trying to, like, just process all that and, like, see all that. It's like, it's not easy. When things come to light, it's not easy. It's not easy when things come to light for you. It's not easy listening for things come to light for other people when they share it with you. It's tough. But it's also wonderful. It's also wonderful because he is in the light. And of course, once it's in the light, the enemy can have no part in it. That's why being in the light is fantastic. That's why the light's wonderful. That's why sharing is wonderful. That's why being vulnerable and open and honest and transparent is just a fabulous place to live. Because then the enemy has absolutely no right whatsoever to do anything. That's why I love living in that place. Because I know, hey, as far as I know, as far as today, he ain't got anything on me. Because everything I know about has been shared with somebody else and with Jesus. So he has nothing on me. He literally has nothing on me that I know about. Everything I know about, everything he showed me and revealed to me, I have written down, I've journaled, I've prayed, and I've shared with somebody else as well. All of it. No matter what it was and how embarrassing it was and how painful it was, it's done. Which means I stand here going, okay, the enemy has nothing on me right now that I know about. He might have some things I don't know about, but I can't deal with them because I don't know about them. And when God shows me, I'll deal with them. But it's a beautiful place to live. That's why I'm not scared about the light, because I, I live in the light. And it's a beautiful place to be. I used to have secrets. There used to be things that only I knew and I didn't share with anybody. Things I was ashamed of and thought that if only someone else knew, my world would end and they'd end relationship with me and all those things that stop us. But as I grew in relationship and I learned to trust, I started to see how freeing it was to live in the light. And then I'd share some things and I started with the things that weren't too bad. 
And then I saw how much weight was lifted when I shared what was going on in my heart. I felt the relief of like a big heavy rucksack just being taken off me as I shared these things and were open and people still loved me and people still cared for me. And oh, 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 wow. Of course, I was very blessed because I had Paul who modeled that to me and showed me it. But if you live in the light, actually properly live in the light, share the secrets of your heart, not just with Jesus, but with somebody else as well. And if you walk in those accountable relationships, there is nothing to fear about a time of exposure and disclosure. There's nothing to fear. Because if you don't, then it's a bit scary. And even if you do, it can be scary because because it takes a lot to get to that place where you can share it with somebody who you trust completely that it's going to be okay. That level of security with another person takes a while to get there. But of course, it only gets built by the sharing. It only gets built by the sharing. And as you share, then it happens. And of course, we don't just share our secrets with anybody. We work hard at building trust in relationships and we trust those whom others trust. But for me, walking in the light means this. It means giving someone authority to speak into your life, to help you, to rebuke you, to encourage you, and to be with you. We call this process discipleship. It is the process by which we are changed to be more like Jesus. And it goes without saying that I only share my secrets with somebody who shares their secrets with somebody else. I would never walk in the light with somebody who wasn't themselves walking in the light with somebody else. Okay, I'm, I'm just coming to a close. The light of God's a powerful thing. And it lights up things that other things don't light up. I'll just do this quickly. Um, Genesis 1, uh, verse 3 to 5, we read that God says, let there be light, and there was light, and he separates light from darkness. And then it's fascinating, because then you get to verse 14, and he says, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And then he says that there be lights to give light on the earth. And then he makes lesser lights. So there's light, and then there's the sun, the moon, and the stars. So in each of those lights in the heavenlies, the sun, the moon, and the stars, there's a particular role to play. They were to mark seasons and days. They were to give light on the earth. And I, I don't, for me, the creation account is not a scientific explanation of how earth was made. But I find it interesting that first God makes light, and then he makes what we think of as light. He makes the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because perhaps there's light that we see and light in which you see me by now. And then there's the penetrating light of Jesus that is something else entirely. Of course, we know from science there are lots of types of light. The light's measured on wavelengths and your human eyes are only capable of seeing some of the light. But I find it wonderful that there is light and then there's light. And when I'm calling for light in my own life, I am asking for Jesus to show up anything that is not like he is. Any attitude, any action, any thought, any mindset, any, any interaction that I've had that wasn't as he would have it, I want him to show me. I want to know about it. And I think it's a wonderful thing when Jesus shines his light and we see things we've never seen before. Again, it doesn't always feel wonderful. In fact, at times it can feel horrendous. But it really is the most wonderful thing that can happen to you. Honestly, the best thing that can happen to you is that God can shine his light on something in your life and show you a way in which he's currently not light. That is the best thing ever. It's better than anything ever. 
Just me then. Okay. But listen, don't run away. Don't be afraid. He's only showing you because he wants to heal you of it. And if you're seeing it, he also knows you can deal with it right now. This is what I've learned. He only shows you something because he knows you are ready to deal with it. And you will never think you are ready to deal with it. You will think you're not ready. You will think you can't do it. You will think it's not possible. You will think it's too much. You will think it's overwhelming. But you are, more than, you are capable of much more than what you think you're capable of. And Jesus only ever shows you something when he knows you're capable of it and you can deal with it. He never shows you something just so you can be crushed. That's not what Jesus does. He shows you it because he goes, okay, this is what I want you to see. And I know that in you there is sufficient to deal with this right now and get through it. That's his faith in you. But you've got to decide whether you're going to agree with him or not and go, oh, actually, yeah, I am able to do this thing and I am able to see it and I am going to go for it because otherwise I wouldn't be showing it. Don't run away. Don't be afraid. He's only showing you because he wants to heal you of it. And if you're seeing it, it means he knows you can deal with it and you will get through it and it'll be beautiful afterwards. Okay, I want to finish with this song, Love Like This. And, and if, you're, if you're right now aware that God's showing you something or you're aware of it or you've been processing something, just listen to the words of this song because it really is an act of utmost love for him to show you something that he wants to work on you. It is an act of incredible love that he would do that. And I think we've got to learn to see it as, you know, when, when you see something of yourself or something that you're working on or something that's not right or it shows you somewhere you got something wrong, I think we've got to learn to see it as an incredible act of love from Father to show you so you can be like him. We've got to get rid of this guilt and condemnation nonsense we put on ourselves that he never puts on you and start going, okay, this is the Father's love that he's showing me this. And, he, and he's with me in it and he can do it. Okay, let me play this song. <laughs>